Welcome to the Colon Cancer Podcast, stories of struggle, hope, and survival in the face of colorectal cancer. I'm Lee Silverstein. Welcome to episode 41 of the Colon Cancer Podcast. Thank you so much for joining me. And I imagine some of the loyal listeners to the podcast might be scratching their heads going, wait a minute, why? We just had an episode that posted last week, uh, my interesting interview with Elon Freedy. If you missed episode 40, uh, go back and take a listen. I think you'll, uh, you'll enjoy it. It'll be definitely worth your time. Uh, but typically we do release an episode semi-monthly. So why did we pop them in back to back? And the reason for that, I will explain shortly. Uh, but it was at the request of uh, my partners at the Colon Cancer Alliance that we pop in this episode this week. So I'll cover that in just a second. You know, as part of this group, this family that we're all a part of, this Blue Hope Nation, uh, being either survivors, caregivers, people that are interested in colorectal cancer, it's a tough road to hoe. And uh, you don't need me to tell you that. So I think it's important that we pause and celebrate when life throws wonderful things our way. And I want to give a little shout out to my friend, Joe Jung, who got married this week. Uh, he and his new bride, Julie, uh, look amazing in all the photos I've seen on Facebook. And I just wanted to take a minute just to uh, wish them all the best. Many, many years of good health to you, Joe, Julie, too. And um, congratulations and um, all the best to you. Uh, I want to also take a moment and thank the good folks over at H2ORS, H2ORS.com. Chris Shaw and his team have done a really nice job of uh, supporting the podcast and promoting the episodes. Uh, they are the folks behind the H2ORS. The ORS stands for Oral Rehydration Solution. And what that is, is for those of you who are struggling with hydration, they make a powdered drink mix that, unlike the popular sport drinks out there, does not contain any added sugar or any sugar at all, any artificial sweeteners or colors. And it's a terrific way to uh, take care of those hydration challenges that you might be facing. For listeners of the podcast, they are offering some free samples. All you have to do is go to h2ors.com forward slash sample and then fill out the information. They'll ship you at no cost two samples for you to try. And when you're ready to place your first order, use their website address, h2ors.com, as the promo code, and that will get you 10% off your first order. A lot of exciting events going on in the colorectal cancer community over the next uh, couple of weeks that I want to share with you. Coming up this Thursday, May the 19th, 2016, for the folks in the Knoxville, Tennessee area, is the Team Britain Golf Tournament. Team Britain is a nonprofit organization uh, named after uh, Britain uh, who passed away from colon cancer a number of years ago. And the proceeds from this uh, golf tournament are going towards the Colon Cancer Alliance. So if you're a golfer in the Knoxville area, come on out and check that out. Also on this Thursday, the 19th, for folks in and around the New York City area, is a special private Eli Tahari shopping event where 10% of the proceeds from this event 
uh, will go also go towards the Colon Cancer Alliance. The event takes place at their Soho location in Manhattan at 417 West Broadway, and it's from 5 to 8 p.m. Then coming up on Saturday the 21st, there are two run-walk events uh, in the folks in Chicago, the Undie. That's the next stop for the Undie run-walk Saturday May the 21st, Brandon Thompson and his team up in Chicago will be putting on a fantastic event. Check them out. And if you're closer to Indianapolis, we've got an event going on there for you. Same day, Saturday 21st. It's the Let's Get Scoping Fun Run Walk event for all the folks in Indianapolis. Information on all the events that I've covered with you can be found on the Colon Cancer Alliance website at ccalliance.org. Click on the events tab, and that's where you'll find all the information. And the last event I want to talk to you about is the reason why we're dropping this podcast earlier than normal, and that is tomorrow, if you happen to be listening to this the day this podcast is released on Tuesday, May 17th. So on Wednesday, May the 18th at 7 p.m. Eastern Time is a live online webinar about medical marijuana. Into the Weeds, What You Need to Know About Medical Marijuana and Colorectal Cancer. So as an intro to that webinar coming up on Wednesday the 18th, I invited the Colon Cancer Alliance uh, medical advisor, Dr. Laura Porter, to join me on the Colon Cancer Podcast to share some insights on medical marijuana. Uh, I learned a lot of things that I did not know. Uh, and had some misconceptions that uh, she straightened me out on, so I greatly appreciated that. I know you'll enjoy my conversations with Dr. Laura Porter. Laura, thank you so much for joining me. How are you this evening? Very good. Thank you. Well, I'm thrilled to have you on the show and have a chance to uh, have a conversation about a uh, very popular, if not controversial topic, uh, medical marijuana uh, I've received a fair amount of feedback from our listeners from the Colon Cancer Podcast asking us to kind of branch out and speak to people like yourself who can offer some insight into different treatment options, uh, options for managing side effects. So this is absolutely perfect. So I appreciate it. Oh, you're very welcome. I'm pleased to do it. So not only you are you a uh, doctor, uh, but you also have a personal experience with colon cancer. So tell our listeners about that uh, to start okay. off. Okay. Um, in 2003, August, I was, uh, I was doing my pediatric residency. I was in my second year, and I was diagnosed with metastatic colon cancer. Uh, I had been having symptoms and... Uh, just, it was, it was pretty bad. I was, I was not doing well at all. Um, and so I was diagnosed and then I had treatment and then, um, I went on full Fox and then my, my, uh, cancer came back and it was in my liver and my ovary. And then I went on treatment and then had surgery again and then it came back a second time, and it was in my pancreas and all my abdominal lymph nodes. Um, and uh, this was in uh, January 2006. And by May of 2006, I was uh, cancer-free. Uh, I had 
a lot of treatment. Um, this last time there were no surgery, but I did get um, treated with chemotherapy and Avastin. So, um, and I've been 10 years this month, no evidence of disease, but um, the doctors keep telling me that I have to stop saying that and start saying cured. So uh, I think that, that, that for me, cured has the same connotation as survivor. It took me many years before I was able to call myself a survivor. So, um, Well, from all of us that are yeah. praying for the day that yeah. we could use the other C word, go for exactly. it. Go for I'm it. Incredibly <laughs> Congratulations. 10 years, and not only that, but 10 years after multiple recurrences. Thank uh, you very much. That's fantastic. That's, that's wonderful news. Congratulations. So you are now uh, working alongside the Colon Cancer Alliance. Uh, tell us about uh, your role uh, with Colon Cancer Alliance. Okay. I'm a consultant. I'm a uh, medical advisor and a senior patient advocate. So basically I go to the uh, – well, basically – I do quite a few things, but one of the hats I wear is I go to the uh, scientific meetings like ASCO that's coming up, and then I um, report the findings in lay terms so that um, everyone can understand what's going on. And um, I'm also on several national boards. I'm on the um, the ASCO uh, clinical trial taper um, and the NCI uh, National Cancer Institute Rectal Anal Task Force, along with um, several other uh, several other uh, uh, positions. And what is your uh, medical field of expertise? Well, um, I was doing my pediatric residency, but now I consider uh, colon cancer. <laughs> 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 oh, that was an obvious yeah, question. Yeah, now I consider <laughs> that my uh, my expertise. No, I wouldn't say it's my expertise. It's definitely my passion, and I do uh, a lot of reading uh, scientific journals, which I think are real important. And um, you know, I, I think what's what's important as a survivor, uh, a long term metastatic colon cancer survivor, is to uh, give others hope. Um, and, uh, you know, that's why I have stuck around and work with the Colon Cancer Alliance to um, let people know that there is hope out there. So, Well, and you're certainly living, breathing proof of that uh, just from your own experience. Yes. So, uh, so the Colon Cancer Alliance uh, during the month of May uh, is uh, putting some focus on the topic of medical marijuana. There is a webinar coming out on Wednesday, May the 18th, uh, offering information. I believe it's at 7 p.m. Eastern time. Uh, tell me about uh, how you came to be involved uh, in researching medical marijuana. Just, just basically your 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 experience and 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 how you came to be involved. Well, I think it, it really stemmed from our patient and family support team. Um, they, they kept saying that they, they reported that they got a, a lot of calls with questions about medical marijuana. Um, and there's very little 
well, I thought there was very little information out there. Um, and, you know, and I, I think what's important here is to say that credible information, you know, information that is published in scientific journals is, um, uh, there. there's getting to be more of it, but um, it's, uh, it's very uh, slim. So, um, so I thought, so we thought about, let's see what we can do to find some information out for our for our um, constituents. So uh, I started doing the research and I have to say that before I started the research, I was dead set against medical marijuana. I did not think that there was any credence to it. I thought, you know, they have a couple of things that are legal like Marinol, which is one, I, which is one, it's a uh, FDA approved uh treatment. And um, I was even on that uh, for uh, severe nausea. They had tried me when I was on oxaliplatin the first time around, they had tried me on like six or seven different um, anti-nausea medicines. And it wasn't until I went on the Marinol and several medicines combined with that, that I was actually able to not vomit. And um, I think we all know what that's like. So, um, so I started looking into it and, uh, some of the things that I found, which were surprising was that, um, you know, I didn't know that marijuana is a schedule one narcotic. Um, and as a schedule one narcotic, it is, it's the, the considered the worst narcotic around and other drugs that are classified as Schedule One narcotics are uh, LSD, heroin, and mescaline. Now, a Schedule Two narcotic is cocaine and methamphetamine, which I find a little wow, you know, a little odd. Methamphetamine, as far as I know, is made in somebody's basement. So how that can be less dangerous than marijuana? is, um, you know, kind of surprised to me. So, um, yeah, sure. So, uh, so I started looking into it and I started to look up whether or not there were, um, you know, what kind of research is done. I found one article in the journal of the American medical association that reviewed about, I think 60 or 70 studies that were done, uh, looking at, medical marijuana. And this is for all things, including, you know, multiple sclerosis and a number of different um, diseases. And the one thing that it had to do with cancer was the um, chemotherapy induced nausea and vomiting. And, and so the, the, the results were not inconclusive, basically. And so I started looking further into it. And I really, I, I mean, I really wanted to stick with the, um, you know, the scientific journals and not, you know, the high times or whatever that, you know, where people just report their personal experiences. So um, I found out that marijuana is grown in the United States by the government in Mississippi on a farm. And it's called a garden, a marijuana garden. 
And so if you're a researcher in the United States and you want to do research on marijuana, you can request it through the National Institute of Drug Abuse, which is another thing that I find kind of odd, that they're the ones that manage the research that is done on marijuana. Um, And it's been said that they are biased in their research. So one of the things I did was I looked up on um, I, on a, a website about clinical trials. And what I found was 28 clinical trials on marijuana. Most of them, 25 of them, were looking at addiction to marijuana, the use of, you know, the, the opiate, anti-opiate, uh, medicines and reversing addiction um, and, uh, you know, just psychosis and things like that. And there was one looking at sickle cell disease, another one looking at spasticity and MS. And there were none looking at the management of side effects in, uh, in cancer treatment, any cancer treatment, you know, and uh, so until until things are changed and now the the FDA no the FDA is going to be deciding or no the DEA is going to be deciding um in the next couple of months whether or not to change the schedule on marijuana to change it from a 1 to a 2 which would enable people to do more research on it um the thing is is that this has come up before them at least twice since the turn of the century. So it's come up at least twice and they have um, declined changing the schedule. So I, I don't hold out much hope for that this time either. But um, And how much so, of that decision, Laura, do you think is based on medical facts and how much of it is politics? Well, I think I think most of it is politics and you know and I did a lot of research into the history of marijuana. So, uh marijuana's been around medicinally for uh 3000 years. There there's uh you know evidence that it was used 3000 years ago. And um so and it was introduced into western medicine in the 1840s. By 1937, this was after prohibition. It was kind of looked at as this huge problem. In fact, I've got to tell you, I watched Reefer Madness this weekend. <laughs> I thought it would give me some insight into the 1930s. And um and it was pretty funny. I mean, it was, you know, but this is this was the hysteria. This was in 1936 that they made Reefer Madness um about young people becoming addicted and, and laughing hysterically. That was like, <laughs> you know, that was the uh, main thing. But um, in 1937, the U.S. imposed a marijuana tax, which um, charged $1 per ounce for medicinal use and then $100 an ounce for recreational use. Now, the American Medical Association was against this. Uh, they felt that by doing this, it would limit their ability to do research on any um, possible benefits of marijuana, but they still did it. So, 
Um, and then in 1970 is when it was uh, classified as a Schedule One narcotic. So what changed your mind? You went from against it to yes. uh, to to going on the other side of the uh, uh, of the opinion. Well, what was the defining moment? Well, I think I think part of it was you know my concern is addiction. You know, there's there's a lot of addiction out there. And um, so my concern was was addiction, like I said. And uh, what I found was that in all of the research that I did, 9% of adults become addicted to marijuana. And um, But that means 91% of people don't develop an, an addiction to it. And, you know, and I thought, wow, I, I didn't realize that that it was so low. Um, and the other thing is uh, that that helped change my mind was they talked about adolescence. Now, I didn't know this, but uh, human brains don't stop developing until well into your 20s. And so the adolescents are more likely to become addicted. So it's recommended that, you know, that if you're, well, under 25, that you shouldn't do, you shouldn't smoke marijuana. But, um, you know, I think that just the, that information helped, um, helped change my, change my mind about it. Um, so in, so how many states is it legal now? It's, uh, it's legal in 24 states and the District of Columbia. Uh, Pennsylvania just came on board, I think, last month. So, and, Fl and Florida's coming. Uh, Florida's a, coming. I yes. think a lot of states are coming. So. Uh, it's, uh, it's on the ballot November of this year. Uh, the state of Florida requires 60%. Uh, for it to pass last year, they got 58 and, uh, oh, wow. not last year, last, last vote, excuse the me, last vote. Okay. was 58%. And they've made significant changes to, uh, appease some of the concerns out there. So it looks like it's going to pass in Florida, which I'm excited about, but in the States where it is legal, um, what's happening? What, what is, what does it look like living in a state where medical marijuana is legal uh, for someone that needs it? Yeah, that's a really good question. And, you know, it depends on the state. Um, I'm going to address this tomorrow in the webinar, but, um, you know, each state has different criteria. Um, there are some states that say that, you know, they have a whole, put it this way, the conditions that it's approved for differ by state. Okay. Um, the one thing that is true is that it is against the federal law. So it is against the federal law. So doctors cannot prescribe marijuana. And when I say prescribe, I mean they cannot write on a prescription pad for a patient to get marijuana. And I think that, you know, this is a, a, a fallacy. People think, oh, I just go to my doctor and they just write it down. But That's they, what I thought. Yeah, no, they can't do that. It's against the federal law. 
So what they have to do is what's called an attestation, where they attest to the fact that you may benefit from using marijuana for X condition, and they give you that. And then depending on your state, depends on what hoops you have to jump through in order to get it. Now, some states allow it, but they don't allow you to grow it. There are some states that allow it, but they don't have dispensaries. Um, And I think one thing that I really want to point out now that, you know, people have, we've, we've already started getting questions for the webinar. And some of the questions are, what's the difference between medical marijuana and street marijuana? And, you know, unfortunately, I, there's not a lot of difference. And the reason is because, you know, the, there's no governing body to oversee that what they say is in the marijuana is actually in it. So um, there are different compounds called cannabinoids that are the active compounds in um, cannabis, marijuana. And the ratio depends on um, the plant, even between plants of the same species or strains, it's different. So um, to, to get some marijuana that says that it's a certain strength, there's no guarantee that that's what you're getting. So, um, you know, that's, that's one of the biggest, uh, I think, obstacles. Also, um, you know, smoking marijuana, smoking anything is not good for you. So there's no hard evidence that marijuana smoking causes cancer, but it does have the same, you know, the same uh, carcinogenic compounds that are in tobacco. So, um, you know, so these are some of the things that people need to be cautioned about. Um, but there's other ways that it's available. I was watching 60 Minutes. I thought it was, no, no. CBS This Morning last weekend. Did you see that? I did not. Okay. They had marijuana on and it was older people treating their arthritis and stuff with marijuana. And a lot of them used gummy, marijuana gummies. And, um, you know, I thought, wow, this is pretty interesting. So, um, but I, I think that the issue of, um, of what is in it, you know, the, the, the makeup of the marijuana, I think if it was to become legalized and regulated by the government, other than the National Institute of Drug Abuse, um, then then there would be a governing body or somebody overseeing and uh, guaranteeing that what is said, what they're, mm, sorry, what it says is in it is actually in it. Um, and I think this was another reason that my feelings uh, shifted because I, I looked at the farm, the marijuana farm, and they have a list of every single different strain, the concentrations of the different uh, cannabinoids, the active ingredients, how many cigarettes they are. They make placebos there. So, um, you know, they have the information but it's difficult for 
researchers to to access the you know the the product. I see. I, I read something online that there were a couple of studies, uh, some pretty um, in-depth and uh, studies coming out of Israel. Oh yes, yes. What do you know about that? Yeah, they're it, boy, they're doing a lot of research in Israel. Um, that's one of the height, uh, one of the top thing uh, areas for research. I actually looked on clinicaltrials.gov. And any of the ones that I found that were looking at um, the actual cannabis in uh, cancer were in Israel. So none here in the United States, but in Israel. Um, so they're looking at um, – one of the things I find uh, very interesting is in glioblastoma multiforme. It's a, a malignant brain tumor. Um, most people don't even live a year after diagnosis. And so what they found is that they actually inject the THC into the tumor in patients and it shrinks the tumor. Okay. The tumor grows back and the patients die at the same rate as those who did not have it. Okay. But that it, you know, that the tumor responded to it um, is is pretty promising. Now, the fact that it didn't prolong survival is an issue. But, you know, I think that more research in these areas need to be done. And th- I think that brings up the other thing. Uh, you know, a lot of people think that, that marijuana cures cancer. Um, and it doesn't. We know that chemotherapy rarely cures cancer, you know, let alone marijuana. And, um, you know, it's not just because it's natural doesn't mean it's safe. And, um, you know, caution needs to be used um, when approaching, approaching the issue. Uh, people really need to look at the the side effects, the adverse effects of marijuana and weigh them with what the perceived benefits are. Would you say it's safe to say that at least in the short term um, for either states where it is been approved for medicinal use or states that uh, are looking to have it become approved in the near future, that the short term um, focus is primarily around uh, managing uh, side effects from chemotherapy? Well, as far as cancer is concerned, yes. Yes. That, I believe yeah, that, that's, I mean, that's the audience we're talking yes, to, so exactly. that's, that's where I was referring, mm-hmm. sure. Yeah, it is. And, and one of the, a couple of the different papers that I read, they say that, uh, that it's, if you're going to use it, use it along with traditional anti-emetics, you know, anti-nausea medicines. So, um, you know, that it, it, it complements it. Um, and I think another issue with the cancer population is, is pain. Um, and so they found that, uh, there's a phase three studies are being done on, on a, um, on a drug called nabiximols. It's, uh, 
it's approved in the United in the United Kingdom and several other uh, countries, but um, it's not approved here. It's in phase three studies, and what they found in the early uh, clinical trials was that for people that have intractable pain, either you know from cancer, that they reduce the amount of opioids that they need by using this um, oral spray. This It's called Sativex, and it's a spray. And so uh, that looks pretty promising. Um, so, I mean, I think until things are, are legal and more research can be done, you know, if it's available in your state, you know, I, I don't see any reason for people not to, uh, not to consider it an option. I see. And of course, like you said, uh, you'll need to become educated on what the laws and regulations are in your particular state because, uh, the number of hoops varies from state to state. Yes. Gotcha. I see. Well, that that's that's good to know. And I, and one of the things I was wondering too is I imagine, uh, and thank you for informing us about uh, that. It's not something that will be prescribed as long as it's uh, you know on the federal list of illegal substances. Uh, the whole attestation process, but that probably also does not mean that every doctor would even be willing to write an attestation, even if it's legal. I would imagine, you know, some doctors still may themselves have some, uh, you know, whether it's their, their personal values or mores or, you know, haven't been, been convinced. Uh, is that true? And then if so, uh, where do patients go as an alternative to be able to obtain the drug, if you know? Yes, I think um, there are uh, plenty of websites where people can find out where they can get it in their state. But yeah, I mean, doctors are hesitant because, you know, I mean, they've actually passed laws in some states saying that the federal government cannot prosecute doctors who prescribe it. So, you know, the federal government could still come after doctors and not prescribe it, but who, you know, recommend it to patients. So, I mean, they can still come after if they, if they choose to. So a lot of doctors, I guess, don't feel like it's worth the risk. So in that scenario, is there another avenue uh, for patients to obtain it in States where it's where medical is legal? Yeah, You'll have to, you'll have to find a, a doctor. Okay. Yeah. And there's probably doctors that are in business just of writing attestations, yes. I'm going to guess. Yes. Aha. I believe. How, did, how did I know? Ah, how did okay. you know? <laughs> <laughs> I see. Okay. Well, that's good to know. And I, I think, you know, from this conversation that we've probably answered some of the questions that our listeners uh, have been wondering about mm-hmm. uh, and, and uh, you know, and allaying some of the not, uh, maybe not fears is the right word, but some of the misconceptions, I guess, out there as to, uh, you know, what it, what, what, it, what it's all about. Well, I hope so. <laughs> so, um, any, um, what, what, what's kind of your hope for the future? I guess, you know, if you could wave a wand, knowing what you know today, yes. Uh, about medical marijuana, and if you could wave a wand, what would you like to see happen? 
I would like to see not I I I would like to see the federal government lifting some of the restrictions on it and that for scientists to uh, be able to do research into the different um, the different diseases that uh, that it's believed to help you know um, I did I did uh, cancer research prior to going to medical school and you know I'm all about the proof and so you know I think that it's important that that um, research be able to be done to either prove or disprove um, and put to rest. Uh, you know, I, one of the articles, I'll just say this, one of the articles that I read was uh, in also in the Journal of the American Medical Association. And basically it said that if, if, uh, if this whole medical marijuana is only to enable marijuana to become legal, then leave the doctors out of it. So, you know, and at first I thought, yeah, that's right. But the more research that I did, the less I believed that that's what it was about. And I think that that's important. And, you know, as far as legalizing marijuana, I don't believe that should be done personally. But um, the medical marijuana and, and getting more research done, I think, is important. Laura, I appreciate you spending some time with us and uh, sharing this wonderful information that I know will benefit so many people and help answer a lot of questions out there. Uh, and for people who catch it on time, uh, on Wednesday, May 18th, like we said, there will be a webinar 7 p.m. Eastern time going uh, a little bit more in-depth into this topic. And uh, thank you so much for uh, for spending the time with me and sharing this information. I appreciate thank it. Thank you very much. I really and most important and most importantly, congratulations on being cure, cured. <laughs> thank you so much, Lee. Take you care. Too. Thanks for listening to today's episode of the Colon Cancer Podcast. Notes from this episode can be found on our website at thecoloncancerpodcast.com. You can subscribe to the podcast on our website, on iTunes, or on the Stitcher app for listeners using an Android device. If you or a loved one has a question about colon cancer, please visit the Colon Cancer Alliance website at www.ccalliance.org. Again, that's www.ccalliance.org. You can also email your questions to us at info at the colon cancer Thanks again for listening. Be well, everyone.